Welcome back to Rebuilders for 2022. What are we talking about today, Mark? Well, we're looking ahead to 2022. The big issues. What does the pandemic look like? Is it going to burn out? Will it keep going in 2022? And are we heading towards the end of the pandemic, but the beginning of a new era of great power competition? What's with the massive Russian buildup surrounding Ukraine? How will this affect ordinary people? Uh, And how do we lead in increasingly ongoing disruptive times? That's what we're going to be looking at today. Yes, it's a great episode. If you want to know more, want to hear what writers or articles have been referred to in the episode, you can subscribe to our mailing list by heading to rebuilders.co and subscribing there. Let's get into it. Well, welcome back to Rebuilders for 2022. My name's Liddy. I'm here with Mark Sayers and Daniel Merton. How are you guys? Good. Happy New Year. Mm, yes, yes. Happy New Year. Merry, I mean, does Merry it Christmas? Is it weird to say that when it's February? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're saying it to our listeners. Yes, but it's who still we February. haven't seen this year. No, no. So we are wishing I, them. I don't know that I saw many of them last year either. Yeah. No, we spoke to them. Yes. We Very spoke to one-sided. Them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we sort of record in here, and then they have this weird experience of walking with you know airpods and hearing us in various places of the world yeah but thank you for listening all of you out there we hope you had a good summer slash winter slash whatever weather you had in your respective locations can i answer a question that i got a number of people send me messages oh yeah yeah yeah. go a lot of people asked is rebuilders coming back for 2022 (laughs) (laughs) oh Um, and what what's the what's the answer yes yes (laughs) We're back. Excellent. It is good to be back. Um, we, as always, had our behind-the-scenes chat pre-recording. Um, and, you know, there was... There was music. <laughs> there, there was music. Uh, we had pastries again, which I'm, oh. I'm stoked about. I feel like we'd kind of tape it off the pastry. And and I lost True. weight. You lost weight. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, through not eating pastries. <laughs> through not eating. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Rebuilders is bad for your health. Yeah. <laughs> but good this year. for your mind. Yeah. No, I feel like it's a, a good way to kick off the year, but maybe what, not a pastries? weekly. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we were as, as we've said before, we think we were coping. Yeah. Coping with lockdown. This was celebration pastries. Yeah. 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 Except they didn't have any savory ones for me today from where I oh. ordered. So mm. I had a brownie which wasn't a pastry and it was very sugary. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. But anyway. So, I mean, there's our pastry rundown. I'm sure you've missed it. Mm. Uh, Shall we dive in? Let's dive in. Okay, let's dive in. Uh, So if you're new to listening to us, uh, we kind of speak to leaders in a variety of different contexts across the world. Mm. Uh, We, well, Mark, your reservoir of knowledge about... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? It's a, we're diving in. There's a reservoir of knowledge, oh. you know. There's, oh. Is there I'm a extending dam? a, a metaphor. The... <laughs> Is there a dam of the reservoir? There's a small puddle. <laughs> small, dirty no, puddle. No, I'm sticking with a reservoir. Anyway, so we, I guess, look at what is happening in culture, what is happening globally and how that filters down into I guess, church contexts and contexts that people mm. are leading in, um, acknowledging that what is going on in the world does affect um, each and every person in the mm. world in a variety of different ways. So I guess that's what we're kind of aiming to do 
uh, as a big picture. But today we're going to talk about some big ticket items that happened across the last couple of months, right? Yes. It is a funny old podcast. Just <laughs> it's a funny old podcast. It's a kids. funny old podcast in the sense of, yeah, it is funny just thinking about it like of, so as you were speaking, I know you're about to take us in today's episode. Oh, but no, it is, okay. it is a weird thing where it's like it's sort of a Christian leadership podcast talking about church life but then geopolitics, culture. But it's sort of, that's sort of what this moment is, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's the macro and micro and the way that those things intersect, right? Yes. And I think I think news is happening so quickly and can pour down into your context where you're leading so so rapidly that even just us not speaking between now and you know the mm-hmm. end of last year, there's all this stuff that's happened. Mm-hmm. You know? no, I'm so, literally like sending you text messages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's happening? What's your read on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I that's yeah, I was losing weight actually from the stress of those text <laughs> messages <laughs> over, over the break. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> So I guess, yeah, in in a time that can be quite disorienting and quite um, alarming, giving voice to and having strategies to read the news, read what's happening in culture um, is really vital Mm. to leading. Um, So I guess, you know, we we always come back to the pandemic or that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years because it's still happening. Mm. Where are we at? Where mm. are we at with the pandemic? What's going on? Well, obviously, when did we, when did we record our last episode? Uh, it was the 24th of November. 24th of November, on the eve of Omicron. Um, very cusp of it. Mm. And, uh, well, for us here. Yeah. Well, I think it's sort of around the world. It sort mm. of emerged in South Africa and then mm. in Halteng province and then, you know, went to Denmark and England. It's sort of all, all over the world now. I think I saw a thing today. It was 99.9% of cases in the US or something crazy like that oh, today. Oh, really? So yeah. rapidly overtaken yeah, wow. Delta. Um, and obviously, you know, different different variants. Um, I think I, I, was, I actually did a pro, did an early record for uh, Carrie Newhoff's show mm-hmm. and talked about, you know, what if there's another variant? You know, we, we don't know what's coming. I think that was released in January. So that concept that often the rules of the game change very quickly when new variants happen, you know, the pandemic doesn't stay the same. Um, and I think Omicron's done that. So Omicron has been highly transmissible. Um, it's less severe, but there's some nuance needed with less severe. Often it's spoken about as mild, but what people mean by that is it's more mild than Delta, which had yes. added severity. Yep. Um, but I think the sort of latest data is that it's probably more severe than the first. Um, I think they call it the wild strain is the is the term used of the mm. first sort of um, strain that came out of um, the beginning of 2020. Uh and, you know, it's just rapidly gone around the world. And I think, um, mm. you know, for Australia, our sort of strategy was to get to, you know, highly vaxxed and then sort of open up in this vaccinated economy in a sense because um, vaccines had good protection against um, severe illness and death. Yep. Um, but uh, Omicron has enabled, uh, has sort of got had some vaccine escape as well. Uh, so it means lots of people have got it. Um, and so it's cut through previous infection and, um, uh, you know, vaccines in terms of transmissibility. Um, and what it's meant really, it's, it's meant a couple of things. I think in countries that are highly vaccinated, particularly well into their booster program, mm. you know, I think about us here, I think about, you know, Denmark and some of the Scandinavian nations and, and, and the UK, um, you've had stacks and stacks of cases, far more than we're ever used to. And there's been a disruptive element to that. But many people um, experience it in a mild form, particularly those yeah. who have been boosted and uh, uh, you know, you're not seeing the same linkage between um, people getting cases and um, and death, mm-hmm. and even ICU. And there's different some different ways that Omicron affects. You know, they think higher up in the respiratory system than than sort of lower in the lungs. Um, so yeah, so in a sense, it's it's been this this hugely 
disruptive thing uh, with people sort of having to furlough and take time off work and mm. isolate and so on. Um, it's having a different effect in other countries which are less vaccinated and you know, thinking particularly of Eastern Europe and yep. the United States which has got mm-hmm. lower. Um, I think the US just you know, has been posting, I think it was like 17,000 deaths in the last week or something. Um, so it's still doing significant damage in places but you've sort of almost got this sort of you, know, you can begin to see the future a little bit, you know, with um, high um, uh, vaccine coverage and particularly booster programs. Uh, I, I heard one interesting, I thought, analysis of it, like looking mm. forward. And I think this is a really helpful way of understanding how to predict this person when asked about what does the future hold uh, in 2022 uh, for the pandemic. So there's really three options. And I thought that's really good. I think in the past it used to be like, here's this is what it's going to look like and we bet everything on that. <laughs> yeah. They had three. We know how well that turned out. <laughs> exactly. They had three forecasts. One was um, the clear skies forecast, mm-hmm. which is where Omicron was high transmissibility, burns around the world at a really rapid rate, giving people some um, immunity um, mm. uh, for those who aren't vaccinated and people who are vaccinated even more immunity. And um, in a sense that sort of, you know, it bans, burns itself out yeah, you know, okay. effectively because uh, it's just so transmissible mm-hmm. uh, and that happens. So you get this big peak and then it sort of disappears. Um, they then offered the second option, which is um, uh, the dark sky option, <laughs> which is the emergence of another variant. Yeah, okay. um, for another variant to emerge, um, it would have to um, uh, have high transmissibility to be able to outpace and outcompete Uh, Omicron, Mm -hmm. um, some vaccine escape as well, Mm -hmm. and then increased severity. So that's a sort of nightmare scenario. You get something that has the transmissibility of Omicron and with some of the vaccine escape and the severity of an even worse delta. Yes. So that's that's the situation. Can you write that situation off? No. Just because we don't want it to happen doesn't mean it's not going to happen. The third option they gave um, was the cloudy skies option, which was the idea that Omicron will sort of be here, it'll come in waves and peaks and, you know, like in Australia you might have this big peak and then it sort of disappears and comes back in winter. Mm-hmm. Similar thing in the Northern Hemisphere, um, that it may move around cities and places like that. There's yeah, okay. a sense that it's reached um, peak on the eastern Australian seaboard. Similar things being said about the US eastern mm-hmm. seaboard um, and the American eastern seaboard. Uh, so, um, and then it could, you know, appear in another part of the country or move from this city. So it sort of goes in and out, um, but effectively it's sort of contained through boosters, um, you know, increased, um, uh, therapeutic drugs, which are now available in the market. And as as more people around the world become, um, vaccinated, um, it sort of becomes this thing we manage, but still manage to do some disruption and, and some, um, uh, you know, sort of devastation through continuing of taking lives. So that's sort of three options, I think, going forward. Um, um, which one's going to happen? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Just a, a question, you may not know the answer to this, but that cloudy skies uh, option, is that kind of when it moves from a pandemic to endemic? Yeah. It's like um, you're living with it, it's present in society, but it's yeah. not like running rampant. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of talk, obviously, about you know living with the virus and yeah. um, uh, you know endemic, and a lot of that really comes down to what is um, a sense where a level of death that actually so there's a lot of talk about hospitalisation. So you've obviously got you know part of the pandemic you've got to see systematically where you know what's the point where it begins to overrun the hospital systems. Yes. You know, and Omicron did that through its sheer numbers, while in yeah. a sense there's greater mildness. Uh, if you'd rather have a um, 
so I think SARS SARS one, I think it was like the SARS that came before yes. COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, had a really high severity rate, like mm-hmm. it was really bad, but mm-hmm. had l- much lower transmissibility. So you'd rather something like that, which only a few people get, even though it kills more, than you want something where it just infects most of the world. Yes. You know, so uh, you'd rather have a small, a, you'd rather have a, a bigger number of a smaller number than a small number of a bigger number, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, th- there's a sense where, you know, there's questions that you know, society has to ask, you know, what's the level of, um, you know, once we understand, you know, or the burden of the hospital system is, is you know, not there, what's the level of death that a society, you know, is willing to mm, live with? So obviously, mm-hmm. I think in Australia, I think I read it was between 500 and 1,000 people die of flu every year. Um, obviously, more people are dying from COVID at this point in time. There's an element where society accepts that level of death with flu as much as that is terrible. Um, so in a sense, you sort of live with, um, you know, and so people sort of saying we move from a pandemic to an endemic stage. Yes, yeah. issue with that is, you know, there's a lot of diseases that, you know, were endemic at times, TB and yeah, smallpox yeah, and yeah. this, which needed to be wiped out. Um, so there's an element that endemic doesn't mean it's just become the common cold. Uh, yes. So it still will present an ongoing threat. Yes. And endemic can then spark back into pandemics. Um, so if you look at, you know, the um, bubonic plague, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which plagued Europe, you know, the stages where it was in pandemic and then it sort of disappeared and sort of was exist. Endemic means it's somewhere in the world at that time. Yeah, okay. Um, so it was endemic and then it would sort of burst off again. So Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it wiped out like what, a third of Europe? Europe yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's staggering when you read about the, yeah, the yeah. bubonic plague and, and kept coming back for centuries. Yeah. I do wonder, um, thinking about, like, what's our perspective as Christians being like, mm. oh, are we okay with, uh, you know, people dying? Mm. You know, what, what's what's our view in response to, like, are we willing to, like, live mm. with this present in our society? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's several different, you know, I think things to hold together. One is, mm. um, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian and understand that death is part of life and that yeah, suffering yeah. is part of yeah. life. And, you know, in a sense we, you know, cancer is prevalent, you know, in our society Absolutely. and, yeah. um, you know, other heart disease and so on. Um, it's an element that, you know, we live under the, the curse of disease and death, you know, yeah. um, in this world. Um, the second element is, you know, well, also we're called to be people of, you know, life and resurrection, yeah. you know, and, you know, how do we also, you know, pursue a society. I'm glad I live in a society which has eradicated things like smallpox and TB and, yeah. you know, that I'm not worrying. You know, people used to, you know, I think my, my, my grandfather's family, um, you know, he had something like 11 or 12 brothers and sisters, you know, mm. and that was quite normal because people expected to lose a number of children. Yeah, um, that's why gosh. people had bigger families, you know. It was like an insurance policy. Yeah. I'm glad I don't live in that world. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad of the advance of medical science and many of those people were, you know, Christian um, doctors and scientists and you mm. know, advancing. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, Christians pursuing that. I think that the third element too is, you know, I think one thing that um, – uh, you know, the whole pandemic has raised is how do we protect the vulnerable? Yeah. You know? And I think the church, whether that be people who are immunocompromised, uh, people who are working in frontline jobs, mm-hmm. the way that, you know, the pandemic has disproportionately affected those who are from lower incomes, um, you know, uh, uh, in, in certain places, indigenous or, you know, people of color in different, in different countries, you know, how do we, how do we as Christians um, deal with the systemic element of a pandemic yeah, as well? Yeah. You know, I think we're used to seeing things through an individualistic lens yeah. and people still see that. 
Um, but, you know, I realized that, you know, I can work from home and, um, mm. you know, order Uber to my door and order my groceries. You know, there's people who have to be on front line. So how do we – I think it, it raises a number of questions and reveals things. James Meeks, the um, British novelist, I think it was in um, the London Review of Books, you know, said – something of shutdowns and lockdowns, he said, you know, when the pandemic first comes, he said, when you when you stop moving, you may start to see how things really are, I think was the quote. Yeah. And if there's an element of that where, you know, this is this is illuminated again, um, you know, the world. And we saw like we saw even in Australia, you know, people like Tom Hanks and stuff flying in and out of the country. And <laughs> yeah, Jul- you know, Julia days. Roberts was like living in Sydney and there was all these like Hollywood people who turned up when, when Australia had COVID zero and, you know, like yeah, yeah. other countries, you know. So you sort I'm of pretty sure Zach Efron lives here now. Zach Efron. George Clooney was living here. There was just like all these yeah. bizarre things where they're just spotting all these Hollywood celebs <laughs> living in Sydney um, and Byron Bay. Um, you know, but again, it shows how you've got people who are poor, unable to move and, yeah. you know, you've got people who are rich, able to just sort of, even in a pandemic, able to sort of move around and get through the cracks and, you know, quarantine in larger states somewhere because yeah, yeah. they pay for guarantees. So, yeah, I think all Christians are, have to hold all those things together. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, pandemic. Anything more to kind of say on that? Or, Daniel, do you have any questions about what's ahead for the pandemic? No. No, that's fine. Um, well, you know what? I think it's time to move on to one of your favourite uh, favorite topics. Favourite topics? Russia. I feel like I've is been – Is that a Russian accent? I feel, I feel like I've been – No, I just felt like rolling my R. I feel, I feel like I've been mischaracterised <laughs> in many spaces as some kind of – Mark, we know that you've got Russian. a passion for Russia. I've got a passion and for lots of places in the world. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think it, probably because it, I spoke It's a fascinating around. country though. Oh, Russia's a fascinating country. Fascinating. I've always country. wanted to go to St. Petersburg. Yeah, me too. One day. Me too. The Venice. Shall we go on a road trip? <laughs> Rebuild his road trip. <laughs> Rebuild his road trip. Live from St. Petersburg. <laughs> Excellent. Coming P- to put you that on our next month. Any, any put that sponsors. on our wish board. Our wish board. Do you have a wish board? Along with Ma- Do we have a wish board? We need to now. Yeah, okay. Right. We'll work can on that. bedazzled headphones be on the wish board? They can be on for yours. You, for <laughs> you. It's on it. Uh, well, no, genuinely Russia. Mm. Um, obviously over, oh, when's it been, the last month or so, there's really been uh, a lot of news about will Russia invade Ukraine. Mm. To be honest, I have not delved very deep into this story. Yeah. Um, so I would love to understand it, love to understand how, like what's actually happening. Could we be entering World War Three? Yeah. Out of the pandemic, Ex- you know, Omicron, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got the sunny skies thing and then, you know, Omicron burns it burns out the pandemic and then, yeah, are we in World War Three? Can I just bring up a, a point which I was pondering about this subject? Go on. Which is um, why do people say they Ukraine? Like where does that come from? Did I just say that? I don't think you did, but you do hear that. Like you hear that like and I think of the Seinfeld episode yes. where they're playing Risk. And there's the guy on the subway who's like, the Ukraine is strong. You know that? Remember that episode? What season is that in? Newman and Kramer are playing Risk. Yeah. And they want to keep the game going. So they take it on the subway. <laughs> and then they're like, Kramer's like sort of trash talking Newman. Like, you know, the, the Ukraine is weak. You know, the Ukraine's a bit crushed. And then there's a Ukrainian guy standing next to him and gets angry and smashes the board. See, I don't Spo- remember that Spoiler alert. <laughs> if, if, if Ukraine is a game to you, is that the line? Yes, yes. What season? 
Uh, <laughs> I'm googling. You, okay. go, you Google. You Google. We'll let going. us know when you know. Um, but, but oh, like, I'm a little bit wounded inside that I can't remember yeah, when I that know, is. I know. Um, season six, episode season 12. Season The label season maker. Six. The label oh, maker. Oh, the label maker. Yes, yes, yes. Where they yes. Fall, falls off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. Why do people say the Ukraine? Like, no one says the Australia. Did you go to the China? I'm sure there's a reason. Can I? Do but it's wrong. Like, it's, 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 it's wrong. Yeah, but what if it's not? How do you know that? No, it's no, it's wrong? not because because a constant throughout the throughout following this story, you constantly see people on Twitter like, you know, East Eastern political, you know, Eastern Europe political specialists like, please stop saying the Ukraine. Like, ah. why do people say the Ukraine? Mm, it's actually the Ukraine. This is sorry, I'm get, yeah. get Wikipedia. <laughs> the Ukraine used to be a frequently used form in English throughout the 20th century. Since the Declaration of Independence of Ukraine in 1991, the Ukraine has become less common in the English-speaking world and style guides warn against its use in professional writing. But does it explain why no. during that period is, of time? Is that because it's a region? Like, like, so when it was part of the Soviet Union, it was seen as a region. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Even yes, though yes, technically yes. I think they were sort of like countries within, you know, Soviet republics. Within or like the Crimean Peninsula or something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes, the Crimea, yes. Yeah. Or you might say... Um, or they said the Donbass, which is part of mm. eastern Ukraine. Or you might say uh, the Riviera in France. Yeah. yeah. So it's more of a so it's a region, but then it becomes a nation of land. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we'll um, we've cracked it. Um, we've cracked yeah. It. Well, we probably have. I'll yeah. do a little bit more research yeah. before we yeah. uh, record our subscriber chat. So if you yes, are a subscriber, yes. uh, we'll have the you answer. can <laughs> you can find out then. If you're not a subscriber, you can become one by going to rebuilders.co mm. and subscribing there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Russia, Russia, not Ukraine. the Ukraine. Just Ukraine. So currently we have quite a serious situation um, in uh, Ukraine, not the Ukraine, uh, where you have a significant buildup of Russian forces surrounding uh, the country of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So obviously Russia and Ukraine were both um, Soviet republics within the USSR, the United you know, Soviet Republics. That was the former Soviet Union. Yep. And um, obviously with the breakup of the USSR, uh, both Russia and Ukraine became independent countries. Um, one of the things that happened during that, which is really key, is that both because the Soviets had placed nuclear weapons throughout um, the Soviet Union, that both countries had significant nuclear weapons. Okay. And this there, is early 90s, this right? This is early 90s. And um, some of the Western powers came in and what there was real concern of, what that what ha- you had all these countries which then, so, you know, broke up into a number of countries and then what you didn't want to have or what the Western powers didn't want to have is all these smaller countries to have nuclear weapons because what if there's a dispute and it just becomes this mini nuclear mm-hmm. war? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Ukraine was convinced to hand over its nuclear weapons and I think they gave them back to Russia, um, but there was sort of like argued, like, and they they would sort of argue today, um, or some would, that um, part of the proviso was that therefore they gave them up, but they would want the West to protect them if there ever was Russian aggression. Okay. Um, so, um, and then um, uh, in 2014, I think, can I get a fact check on that? Um, you had this incursion into uh, Ukraine um, by um, what first appeared to be little green men they were called which were these uh soldiers wearing um uh no 
markings. Yes, yeah. Um, who we're not talking, which took a number of um, uh, you know places, and there was different areas in eastern Ukraine, you know, Crimea and um, uh, the Donbass, and, and parts of Ukraine had mm. Russian-speaking minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there's been a sort of ongoing now frozen conflict is is the term used um, where. Uh, part Ukraine in a sense lost control of parts of its own country, and there's okay. sort of separatists there um, being backed by the Russian military. Yep. Um, initially, um, the Russians denied that they were there, but eventually Vladimir Putin um, sort of said that they were there. Um, so there's sort of been a frozen conflict. But then what happened, I think, sort of the end or the end of last year, is that there began to be this significant troop buildup of Russian mm-hmm. troops, um, uh, not only sort of on the Russian-Ukraine border, but also in Belarus. So we had, um, I think it was last year, was it? There was the sort of uh, attempted revolution in Belarus um, with um, its sort of long-term leader, many would say dictator, Lukashenko. Um, and it looked like Russia sort of saved him. And there has been talk of some time of a sort of union between Belarus and Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, so effectively, to sort of cut to the chase, what you have now is you have upwards of what's estimated to be 200,000 troops, Russian troops on the border uh, with Ukraine. And this has caused huge um, concern um, throughout Europe and in sort of NATO. So what NATO is, for those Mm -hmm. who don't know, is that NATO was a treaty organization, an alliance of North Atlantic treaty organization, different European countries who from Western Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, but also the United States and Canada. And really that was seen as a military bulwark against what they were concerned was the expansion of communism and particularly the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc or the Warsaw Pact. Um, So effectively what we have today is we have this huge troop buildup and there's real concern that this will then head into a war. There's been intelligence leaked from um, the United States and United Kingdom um, that uh, uh, Russia intends to take the whole of Ukraine and occupy Kiev. Um, it's interesting that the Ukrainians are sort of saying, uh, you know, this this is actually not the case. So you've got the sort of Ukrainians saying that the Western powers are freaking out a little bit, um, and uh, but then Ukraine is preparing. Um, so this is the first time. This is probably you know many people are saying this is the sort of most significant threat in Europe for decades. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, if you were to have a land war. Um, between Russia and Ukraine, it would possibly draw in other people. So it would draw in other NATO forces. Now, part of um, the argument from the Western side is that Russia has been aggressive and has gone into Ukraine, um, you know, it's gone into places like Syria and so on. And mm-hmm. this is sort of the unchecked power of, you know, Vladimir Putin, his uh, regime is seen as authoritarian. And there's this deep concern that um, there's a sort of new axis in the world of Russia, China, um, you know, places, like other countries like Iran, mm-hmm. Venezuela, sort of creating this pact against sort of Western liberal democracies. Okay. Um, and particularly the concern really is part of China and, and, and Russia. The sort of Russian argument would be that um, when the Soviet Union fell, why do they need to have NATO? Why do they need to have this organization which was designed to push back on Russia? Mm. And Russia felt that it had agreements that NATO wouldn't go any further eastward. Yeah. Uh, but there's been a number of countries in Eastern Europe which have joined NATO and there's been some talk that um, Ukraine was wanting to join NATO. So they, in a sense, see themselves also being sort of pushed towards. Um, so you've got this tremendous sort of high stakes game. My sense is that Russia won't attack. Um, okay. I could be wrong. But um, to actually take a huge country like Ukraine – 
um, to occupy. We just saw the huge military cost the US has incurred in, in you know, the world's biggest army, um, richest country in occupying um, Afghanistan and Iraq, mm -hmm. which they've withdrawn from. And for Russia, you know, has learned from that to go into occupy a country which would, you know, many people would want to be engaged in a sort of guerrilla warfare against that would be really damaging um, and have a huge cost both in terms of, you know, loss of life and also economic consequences for mm. Russia and also popular opinion at home uh, at a time when there has been a sort of growing protest movement um, taking place against Russia, particularly since the imprisonment of the opposition figure Alexei Navalny. Now, with this news, it's it's always really key to try and analyse it and I think, you know, ask what's mm. the sort of signal in the midst of all the noise. And my sense is that there's a bigger story going on. I don't think Russia is going to invade. Now, things can always go wrong. Yeah. We've seen huge wars start when there's misunderstandings. All you need is someone who's trigger happy or someone to accidentally shoot down a plane or mm. whatever and very quickly emotions can take over and disaster befalls disaster and you find yourself cascading into war, you know, which could draw in you know, Belarus, it could draw in Poland, it could draw in Sweden, mm -hmm. um, Finland, you know, so many other countries um, plus NATO countries and so on around. Um, my sense is that actually what Russia is doing is testing the West. Mm. Uh, Russia doesn't want to have a country which is seen as moving towards becoming Western and liberal uh, on its doorstep. Mm -hmm. So this is actually sort of like high stakes trolling. And if you think about you know politics in many ways in the world, it's become a game of trolling. Whether it be mm. you know tweets, you saw Donald Trump tweeting, and you know you got now got Chinese government officials who are like trolling the West <laughs> and you know doing all this sort of crazy stuff. And in a sense, this is almost real world trolling. You know, I think that by surrounding and putting these troops there, you're not doing anything. Um, you get a lot of leverage. Part, I think, of the Russian concern was that uh, under the Obama administration, the US had started an uh, Indo-Pacific pivot, seeing that the real challenge of the US was actually not in Europe, that actually it was, it was China, and they needed to move their forces and their attention to the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, this is Russia, you know, sort of doing something to get attention back. Um, but I also think what this what this speaks of is, you know, you've got now uh, the danger for the U.S. is to be stretched, and to have you know uh, have to have a focus in both Europe and the and mm -hmm. uh, you know yep. the utter nightmare scenario would be that uh, Russia goes into Ukraine at the same time that China goes into Taiwan. Okay. Um, because it'd be very difficult for the US to fight on two fronts um, and be hugely stretched. I think also Russia sees weakness at this time in Europe. It sees mm. Angela Merkel passing, um, who was in a sense many ways sort of leader of Europe mm -hmm. and push back on, on the Russians at times. Um, but, you know, the effect of coronavirus on places like the UK and the US and throughout Western Europe, the economic sort of um, unknown waters that the West finds itself in and just a sense of polarisation in the West. Mm. I think uh, this is this is... I think uh, Russia, who's now in a strategic alliance with China, really pushing the West. But the big analysis in all of this is um, the West is now being tested mm -hmm. and the direction that we thought the world would head in of just eventual Western dominance of a sort of liberal, democratic, secular world order uh, is really being tested at this point in time. And, you know, things again, just like the pandemic that um, we didn't think we would see again mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of science. Haven't we, you know, dealt with all that stuff? How could a small virus sort of shut down, you know, a large part of the world? 
um, things like war and conflict. We're moving into, you know, what I've talked about and perhaps we'll talk about more this year with my book coming out, a grey zone. Yep. Um, that this is now a grey zone moment where we've moved from the solidity of the post-world order, a post-world war order, mm-hmm. uh, post, sorry, post end of the Soviet Union world order into now uncharted areas and everyone's testing each other out. They're sort of like seeing where things lay and I think what we're going to see is the world sort of move into these blocks um, where uh, you've got people who are um, aligned with China mm-hmm. you know, and the sort of China-Russia block with the sort of US block with the EU block and so on. Um, so we're entering into a new stage of geopolitical conflict. Can you sort of – do you have any other examples of where that's – where that's sort of emerging. I know you were talking earlier about Burma. You've done some reading over the break. Or do you want yes. to go there today? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do Burma. We'll do Burma. Uh, <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do Burma another week. Okay, oh, right. I've thrown Burma out the bait and you've more. thrown it back. That's yeah. totally fine. Um, okay, I, I can give other examples. You know, sure. So you're seeing things like, you know, you had Western brands that were dominant in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, increasingly you're seeing... Chinese Korean brands dominant in the world. Mm, okay. um, you know, in in China is in many ways disconnecting itself. We were just reading before um, of a news article we were talking about as we we're getting ready of a young American skier oh, yeah. um, who um, uh, uh, you know was going to represent you know, as a medal favorite. You know, in the Winter Olympics, Elaine uh, Il- uh, Gu. Uh, who you know had just signed you know, a bunch of modelling uh, contracts. You know was going to be this face. Has a Chinese mother. She's from San Francisco, but never lived in China. Has just chosen to not represent America, but represent China. Yeah. And sort of the language of well, that's where the economy is now. That's where the growth is now. And I thought that's really interesting. A sort of sign of how people are looking. Where does you know where's the next rising power versus the sort of fading power? So if you think about so much of our of how we view the world has mm. been shaped by, you know, we've talked about here before, is by that that world um, order that, you know, really was the American century yes. and, and it's it's shifting now. We've talked a lot about that, but this is this happening now with real hardware. You know, this is just not ideological stuff. This is sort of tanks on the ground showing how the world order is really changing. And, you know, uh, Andrew Breitbart, the American conservative um, mm. Uh, commentator who died of a heart attack uh, a few years ago, he used to say, you know, uh, politics is downstream from culture. My addition to that is culture is downstream from geopolitics. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, you know, like uh, the culture of other countries is they come into different orbits, whether it's, you know, China or Russia mm-hmm. or the US, you know, whatever, it's going to change. So um, these geopolitical effects will have changes uh, in, in the world as the world starts to rearrange a new power arrangement. So as, as leaders in myriad contexts, how, do, how could we expect to see that filtering down? Do you have any ideas about what to look out for? Yeah. Well, I think again too, like the, the idea was that the secular liberal democratic order, and by secular I don't mean no one believes in God, mm-hmm. but rather this idea that religion, identity, nationalism would be held back from the public square. Yeah. And really what the public square was about was commerce, you know. That was really the idea. The Mm -hmm. idea was the world's going to become a giant mall and, you know, China will trade with America and no one's going to really talk about these big issues of identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can have your your little religious faith there in that private sphere and you can be proud of your cultural background but keep it over there or don't do it in a way that tests my 
Yes, you know, yes, yes, um, yes. You know, eat your local cuisine. Um, <laughs> but um, where we're now moving to is actually a um, much more contested space. Yeah. And so a contested space is really the paradigm shift that we're moving into. And, and what that means is the idea of having one dominant sort of cultural voice at the top dictating everything, that's shifting. Again, too, this is decentralization. We're moving from one central yes. idea which determines everything to, to uh, you know, many competing voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, things to look out for, you know, the idea that if you're in a, you know, if there is these big conflicts do kick off, what does that mean in countries like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, you know, kingdom where you might have people in your churches who are on different sides of those conflicts through yes. their ethnic yep. ancestry yep. Um, and might see things very differently that people have seen the cultural war stuff and mm-hmm. they've understood that through a left or right dynamic. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, how do you, how do you do the people of God when you've got these flashpoints that are expanding? So I think before we've seen people have understood, oh, the, the flashpoints in churches can be between left and right. What happens when that expands mm-hmm. um, into different, different, even a, a bigger scope of identities? Um, yeah. I guess that's that from a complicated world to a complex world, yes, right? Yes, yes, totally. Um, and so, you know, again, too, I think this, this is going to be increased disruption uh-huh. Um, and so the big key, and I think this is going to be a focus of what we're going to talk about and, and rebuild this year is we have to change how we lead. We can't just assume that the environment's going to stay the same. We have to learn to lead in a more dependent way upon God. Mm-hmm. We need to look at, you know, how did the, how do you think about Jesus's discipleship community? Yeah. You know, he had people who were Ex, you know, like his ministry to people, ex-tax collectors. You know, had people who were, mm. uh, you know, zealots. You know, these sort of political radicals. You know, yeah. uh, you know, how did he hold together this group who was so different? You know, yeah. and then the early church represented that. And so I think that's going to get a lot more real for us yes. um, going forward. And I think the the methods of the past, where you provide people a good program, give them a good car parking. Yeah. You know, and they'll come and, you know, great sound system and, you know, worship singers who can sing on key um, and a life applicational sermon. Uh, I'm not saying any of those things are wrong in of themselves, but I think that very sort of just like big box mentality is going to struggle. And I think increasingly leadership is going to help people be the people of God in the midst of these contested spaces. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be an interesting year ahead yes. talking about this stuff. Uh, thank you so much, Mark, uh, mm. for yeah leading us through that and helping us uh, start to grasp some of what is going to be impacting uh, our many contexts this year. It's a pleasure to be back. It is good to it's be good. back. Yeah. 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 So still- until next time, this has been Mark.